remember as a kid, standing what seemed like forever as the pastor prayed and prayed and prayed, have I become that pastor? I just realized, I think I just became that pastor. I got to work on that. That was, whew. Sorry, kids, if that was too much. Maybe it was too much. My bad. I'll, I'll try to do better. It's good to be with you. Um, I'm, I'm not sure if you keep track of this. You probably don't. probably doesn't bother you whatsoever. But I haven't preached for two Sundays. And um, that's weird for me. And it's, I don't know if it's a good weird or a bad weird. It's probably good and bad. But, you know, you kind of get into a rhythm. And then when you get thrown out of the rhythm, it's hard to get back in the rhythm. You ever, have you ever experienced? That's true for pastors, too. So I, I haven't preached for two weeks, and all of a sudden it's like, oh, this is hard making a sermon. <laughs> so I, I was reminded of that. I, I hope that you will um, bear with me through this as I have trying to get back into what God has called me to do. Freedom is a powerful word. Well, as you know... I, you probably very much know it by now, July 4th is today. And today we celebrate an important American holiday, don't we? Today we celebrate our Independence Day. Do you remember why this day is celebrated on July 4th? Say it to somebody next to you. Why do we celebrate Independence Day on July 4th? Well, let's see if you got it right. I, didn't, I guess I kind of put you on the spot there, so if you didn't know that, now you're going to look silly. It wasn't my intention to make you look silly. July 4th, 1776 is the day that the Declaration of Independence was approved by Congress. Do you remember that? The Declaration of Independence. It is a document that was drafted by the Continental Congress, and it was approved on July 4th, 1776. The Congress had been working for months to draft it, and they had been trying to get people, each delegate from the 13 colonies, to, uh, to, to say, we approve of this, this declaration, this document. And this document, it gave explanation as to why the 13 colonies had resolved to be united colonies and that they had a right to be free and independent states. They, the document also publicly enumerated the many grievances that the colonies had against Great Britain, and especially against the king of Great Britain, the tyrant, King George III. And they named him as a tyrant, <laughs> which is interesting. By the way, I did have a question for you, and this is going to be a bit of a challenge. When is the last time you actually read the Declaration of Independence? My guess might be that there are people in here that have never read it all the way through. It's a bit long, not super long, and, and the language is a bit early American enough that you might get tired and stop reading. I bet there's people in here that have never actually read it all the way through. So, my first challenge, not a pastoral challenge, a challenge to you as my fellow Americans, read it today. It's not like you can't find it on the internet. Okay, You can even find it not written on the parchment so you can actually read it because nobody can read cursive anymore, right? So, actually go read the Declaration of Independence today. You might be surprised what you find there. It may not be just exactly what you were thinking. 
So, read that. Now, probably the most famous line from the Declaration is one that you will recognize. We hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by the Creator with certain unalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. That's actually paragraph two. So go ahead and read paragraph one, and then you'll get to that. And then what gets said next, I think you'll find interesting, but I'm not preaching on the Declaration of Independence today. But I think it's worth saying, of all days, to go read it, now would be the day, okay? I'm proud of the Declaration of Independence. I'm proud to be an American. I'm proud to be a citizen of this country. And I grew up loving this country. You know, I I remember growing up watching the Olympics. And I was, I mean, this is a little bit, a little bit of of self-examination here. But I I think some of you might feel the same. As As a kid, I remember crying when the national anthem was played as the athletes stood on the top podium. I cried in pride for my country. I was awestruck by my cousin, my first cousin, who was a Marine. And he, he came home one time, well, he, he visited my home one time when he was in the Marines. And I remember he sat so straight in the chair. His back didn't even touch the back of the chair. Just like, and he was just a, a man of discipline and honor. And I was so proud that he was my cousin. I was so proud that he served my country, and I wanted to be like him. I still have regrets to this day that I didn't go into the armed forces. My, my life just didn't quite zig in that direction. God didn't call me to do that, but I, I, I still have regrets. I've got my two, two of my brother-in-laws you know, served in the Marines and, and the Air Force, or um, the Navy. I, I knew that. Sorry, Justin, if you're listening. The, the Navy. And I'm proud of them. I'm proud of their service. I like to talk to them about what they did. I like to talk to you about the service that you did for our country. I'm proud. I respect them. I respected my cousin. I'm proud of our country. And as I became a youth, so when I I was a boy and then I became a teenager, and then I became a young man, my understanding of the world grew as did my faith in Christ. This maturing process has led me to consider an important question in my own personal walk with God that I would like to share with you. Now, this question, it's a difficult question. I look around this room and I see so many of you that have served with distinction. I've heard so many of your stories. I like to just listen to the stories that you have to say about how you have served and protected our country. And so I want you to know that this question I ask, it's a question that I mean with respect. And I don't make this question flippantly at all. Here's the question. How does our American Independence Day fit with my faith in Jesus Christ? If there ever was a question that needed prayer to guide a discussion in a sermon, it's this one. And so, would you join me as I pray? Heavenly Father, as we open up your word, as we seek you, it is, it is with that completely that we say we desire to hear from you. 
Our hearts are open, Lord, to listening to you through your word. Holy Spirit, we invite you to speak to us, challenge us, strengthen us in our faith in you. God, speak. Your servants are listening. Amen. The question, how does our American Independence Day fit with our faith in Jesus Christ? Well, that certainly feels like a loaded question, doesn't it? Even right now, you're thinking, where's Pastor Jason going to go with this one? And you're looking with furrowed brow, wondering, hmm. It feels like a loaded question because, well, our country seems to be at a breaking point, doesn't it? We're facing what feels like unprecedented. Don't you love that word? Has that word been said enough in the past year and a half? Unprecedented. It seems like we're facing unprecedented pressure that is tearing the very fabric of our society, of our culture, of our republic. Doesn't it feel like there's a ripping that's happening? I don't need to remind you of the stresses we've endured as a country, even just in the past year and a half. Pandemic, racial tensions, riots, disputed presidential elections, a riot in our own Capitol building, anger, division. And in the process of that, doesn't it seem like people have retreated into their own defensive camps? I also don't need to remind you about the tension that's underneath all of this in our country. You know, I don't even know how to put it into words. I guess I'll say it like this. As simple as I can. I think our country is turning away from Jesus. I think that's underneath all of this that I feel in here. All of this turmoil that I feel. Do you feel that turmoil? When, when me as a, as a young boy, you know, wept in pride at watching the Olympics And now I've got this turmoil. I mean, even this week, as an Olympic athlete turns away from the flag. There's this turmoil. Sometimes it seems like everywhere we look in America, it seems like everywhere we look, or almost everywhere we look, it seems like we see turning away from Jesus, turning away from Jesus, turning away from Jesus, turning away from Jesus. Church attendance is down. We're at, we're at a point in America when, you know, I, I'm not going to quote a statistic, but a huge, I don't need to have a statistic for you to know this. A huge number of people in our country are not church-going folks. They don't believe in Jesus. It's not been like this in any of our lifetimes, has it? And it seems to be getting worse. When I was growing up, I think that this process had already started, or at least the cracks were starting. I grew up in the 80s. I was born in the late 70s. So some of you have got me by many years of experience. But as a kid growing up in in rural South Dakota, I I guess I didn't really know what was happening around me. Because I remember looking at those Olympians. I remember looking at my cousin, the Marine. And I remember feeling that I wanted to be a good American. And in my mind as a young boy, I thought that being a good American was the same thing as being a good Christian. I really believe that. I thought that that being an American was the same thing as being a Christian. I thought they were the same. Well, maybe that's too general. 
I'm not actually sure I even gave it much thought as a kid. I don't think I was like deciphering this in my brain. I think just as a kid, it just in my mind, they were the same thing. American equals Christian. Christian equals American. But as I matured, as my understanding grew, I began to realize that they are not the same thing. I don't have an overwhelming amount of Scripture today. I'm really only going to look at three very short passages. The first one I think you'll recognize. It's from Exodus chapter 20, verses 2 and 3. I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You should remember this one from Sunday school. That's commandment number one. That's commandment number one. This is the first of the Ten Commandments that God gave to His people through Moses. It is the foundation of the covenant that God instituted between Himself and His people, Israel. I want you to look at that. Look at verse 3. And I want you to consider again the question that I have brought up in front of you today. How does our American Independence Day fit with my faith in Jesus Christ? This one commandment does not answer my question entirely, but it most certainly does give us a strong direction, doesn't it? And what is that direction? We are not to put anything above God in our lives. We are not to put anything above God in our lives. Nothing. Not even our citizenship to this great country that we love. Not even that. I'm going to share with you two things that have troubled me. And this is the part of the sermon where you might be tempted to get up and walk out. I hope you'll let me finish, okay? Because I do, I am going to get to a place here. But there's two things that have troubled me. As I have grown in my understanding of this commandment and my understanding of Jesus Christ. Here's the first thing. The Pledge of Allegiance. Have you... You know, we call the Pledge of Allegiance, like that's one word. I'm going to say the Pledge of Allegiance, like that's one word. It's three words. Pledge of Allegiance. What is the word allegiance? What does that mean? Allegiance. I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America. Do you see why that could be problematic based upon the question that I am raising with you today. Do you understand? You shall have no other gods before me, is what God has spoken to Israel. And it is in the new covenant. The, the, the Ten Commandments are part of the old covenant God made with Israel. But in the new covenant, that is repeated. There can be nothing higher than Jesus Christ in our lives as Christians, as followers of Jesus Christ. Nothing can be higher. So when we say the Pledge of Allegiance, you've got to be a little careful, don't you? Number two, now I'm really going to bother some of you. Please let me get to the end. The United States flag. Why do we have a United States flag in our sanctuary? That's a rhetorical question. You know what the second commandment is? What's, what's commandment number two? 
do not have a graven image. I have struggled with why we have an American flag in our sanctuary for as long as I've been here. I have struggled because I know that this is a conversation that's very difficult to have because of what the American flag represents. Again, let me get all the way through this. Don't misunderstand what I'm saying here. But I think that this is worth saying. Our allegiance is not primarily to the United States of America nor to the flag for which it stands. If I can't say that as a pastor from a pulpit in church, we've got a problem. Because our allegiance and our worship is not to go there. It is to go there. So how do we do this? Before you get too upset with me, I want you to notice that the flag is still there. If I... If I was really upset about this, it would just disappear one day when nobody would know. It's still there, isn't it? So even though this wrestling match is happening within me, it's still there. What is higher, the eagle or the cross? That's probably a violation of flag protocol. You realize that? I'd also like to say that the flag, now I'm, I'm not an expert, and some of you are much more of an expert on flag protocol than me. But I think the American flag is always supposed to be the farthest that way. Am I right about that or wrong about that? That's on purpose, the way we've got it. The cross is higher than the eagle in this church. Now, before you get ready to tar and feather me and kick me out of here, just wait a moment. I'm not an OT. I am not suggesting that we should throw away our dedication to this country. Did you notice the songs we sang this morning? Did you notice that we said the Pledge of Allegiance before my sermon began? Did you notice that the flag is still on the stage? But I'm asking you to think. I am challenging you by the Word of God to think about this on this Independence Day. I want to make very clear something. Being an American and being a Christian are not the same thing. My allegiance to God, as revealed in Jesus Christ, will always be higher than my allegiance to this country. So what does that mean practically? Okay, two practical things. You ready for this? It means that every time I say the Pledge of Allegiance, which is quite often, basketball games, football games, I mean, before even school board meetings, I'm not on the school board, but I know they say it. Every time I say the Pledge of Allegiance, I come to that point where it says, I pledge allegiance to the flag. In my mind and in my heart, every time I come to the point when I say the Pledge of Allegiance, in my mind I say this, I pledge, I pledge allegiance to the flag 
of the United States of, of America and to the republic for which it stands. And then in my mind, I say, and I pledge my higher allegiance to Jesus Christ. Every time I say the Pledge of Allegiance, I add that in my mind. Do you? Because here's the problem. If you don't think about, and I know it says under God for which it stands later, and I know many of you, when you say the pledge, you emphasize that part in your brain, and I appreciate that you do that. But remember what the commandment is. Remember, your your understanding as an American is here, and it's very high in your priority list. And here's God. You have to, we have to remind ourselves of this correct order every time we say things like a pledge of allegiance. So I'm asking you, whenever you say the pledge of allegiance from this point forward, remember to in your mind give your allegiance to Jesus Christ higher than your country. Number two, and regarding the American flag, I will always give honor to the flag because this idea of the United States of America is one that is worth giving honor to. We are able to worship God freely and publicly in this country. The reason I can stand up here and talk to you about what I'm talking to you about is because of what that flag represents. It represents a country in which we are free to worship God publicly together. That is worth saying, yes, I give honor to that. That is worth recognizing even on a stage of worship that we can even be on this stage because of what that flag represents. So do not mishear me. I am still a proud American. I have not lost that. It has not become tarnished because of the current state of affairs we are in. I'm proud to live in a country that upholds upholds religious freedom as one of our highest virtues. But even with all that said, I will not honor the flag of this country above my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I will not do it. And I will be very careful that they don't end up like this. I fear. For many people, they have combined these two things together. Their identity as an American has combined with their identity as a Christian. And they can't distinguish the two. I find that to be unimaginably problematic when we talk about who Jesus is. Unimaginably problematic. Why? Because the combining of these two identities is extremely dangerous for believers in Jesus Christ. How how could that be dangerous? Because it borders on idolatry. So, can I get back to the question that I posed? How are we to celebrate our Independence Day without becoming idol worshipers in the process? That's the same question. I just changed the words at the end, isn't it? We must be careful. And this whole sermon this morning is simply a reminder to be careful, to be careful about this. You know, do you remember when we did the Old Testament timeline? It's been a few years now, uh, the, the sermon series that we went through, and 
I used a fancy word, and maybe you, you, haven't, you didn't remember this word, and that's okay. A word that describes something that happened in the Old Testament to the people of Israel. The word is called syncretism. It's a fancy seminary word, yes. But it, it really describes something that's very important. It describes what happened to the people of Israel in the Old Testament. Syncretism is the combining of two different religions into one religion. Okay? And when this happens, the new religion that results is not like the two that came in. It is something new. It is something different. And it's exactly what happened to the people of Israel. See, the people of Israel, they didn't stop believing in God. They just combined their belief of God with their belief in other gods. And they made something new. Syncretism, like getting your watch in sync, right? That's where the word comes from. They got the two religions in sync. And by the way, that was enough for God to destroy Israel. Did you you hear that part? The syncretism of the Old Testament, the syncretism of the Israelites was enough for God to say, You have violated the covenant that you made with me and that I made with you. The covenant that begins with the first stipulation right here. You shall have no other gods before me. Syncretism was the reason why God destroyed the Israelites. It is not something to be trifled with. It is sin. It is. That's what it is. There is to be no combining of God with another religion, even the religion of America. If we continue to think that being American and Christian are the same, then we are in danger of the same kind of syncretism that felled the Israelites. As you celebrate this 4th of July Independence Day today, I hope you will remember that your freedom in Christ is worth so much more then our freedom from Great Britain. (laughs) Our freedom in Christ is worth so much more than our freedom from Great Britain. And I hope you will remember that our identity is found, that your identity is found in your citizenship of the kingdom of God, not in your citizenship of America. Did you hear that? Your identity. See, I haven't used the word identity until this point. Your identity is not American. Your identity is follower of Jesus Christ. That's who you are. And when we combine them together, we get that mixed up. You see, our identity gets mixed up. We are not primarily citizens of America. We are primarily citizens of God's kingdom. I don't want you to renounce your citizenship in America. That's not what I'm saying. Don't mishear me. Because right now some of you are like, well, if you don't like it here, go to Canada. I know that's what you're thinking. I don't want to go to Canada, okay? I want to be in America, okay? That, I'm not trying to dodge the draft. That, that's not what I'm trying to do. I'm trying to say this, not this. This not only is wrong and bad and all that good stuff, it is sin, to do this. It is sin. And now I want to leave you at the conclusion of this 
short message today with two passages of Scripture I want you to think about. Second Chronicles 7.14, If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and will heal their land. The context of this passage, King Solomon had just finished building the temple for God. He had an entire chapter in Chronicles, Chronicles chapter 6 is an entire chapter in which Solomon prays to God a prayer of dedication for the temple. And in that prayer, he says like six times, God, if, if, if your people stray from you and they experience bad things because they've strayed from you, and then they repent and turn to you, and they turn to your holy temple in Jerusalem that we have just built, I am asking you to hear their prayer and forgive them. And, and Solomon goes through like six different things in which, in which he's saying, and if your people, they fall, like they, they lose in battle because they have not dedicated the battle to you, and they turn back to your temple and pray, please remember them, hear them, this is the prayer of dedication, hear them and forgive them and, and, and bless them. And here is God in chapter 7 of Chronicles responding directly to Solomon's prayer. That's what Chronicles chapter 7 is. He responds directly, personally. In fact, in chapter 7 it says, this is the second time God came personally to Solomon was to to express this. Remember the first time is when God came to Solomon and said, I'll give you you anything you ask for. Remember that? And Solomon asked for wisdom. That was the first time. This is the second time that God came personally to Solomon right after he dedicated the temple, right after the temple was filled with God's glory, right after Solomon sacrificed 22,000 bulls as part, of the declar- as part of the dedication ceremony. And God says this, If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and will heal their land. Now this was spoken in the Old Testament, part of the Old Covenant to the people of Israel regarding the temple in Jerusalem. Aha! The temple in Jerusalem has gone. So I guess God's not going to hear us anymore. In the New Covenant, in the New Covenant, what is God's temple? Good guess. In the New Temple, in the New Covenant, the temple is not in Jerusalem. Where is the new temple? I know it doesn't look like much, but you're looking at it. Our bodies are the temple of God. We who believe in Jesus Christ in the new covenant, we are God's temple. So, we don't turn to Jerusalem anymore. And this isn't some like new age, turn to yourself and find the hand. That's not what I'm saying. Okay, the Holy Spirit resides in us. Okay, so as we, as we, if we need to, to repent of sin and wickedness so that God will come and hear us again, we need to remember that God has inhabited us. He doesn't, the glory of God isn't just in the temple in Jerusalem, the glory of God in the new covenant is in us. We are those to whom they look now and see the glory of God. Us. Will we turn away from our wickedness and turn toward God? Then, then, what does it say? God will hear from heaven and forgive our sin. 
and heal our land. I challenge you to go and read 2 Chronicles chapter 6 and 7. I challenge you to read that because you probably haven't read it in a long time. You've probably seen this verse like out of context a thousand times, right? Go read both chapters and see the power of that moment. And now, 2 Timothy chapter 3 verses 1 through 5 and then we'll be done. But mark this. There will be terrible times in the last days. People will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, without love, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not lovers of the good, treacherous, rash, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying its power, have nothing to do with them. Now, I don't know about you, but the first four verses of that They just about described the United States of America to a T right now. Now, we're not the only country in the history of mankind that could be described by that set of um, words, are we? I mean, if you know anything about the Roman Empire, they were fitting that too. But that's us, isn't it? As America. America has become those things. But the thing that scares me the most is verse 5. And I remember John Bodecker, when he came to family camp about 10 years ago, He preached on this verse, and it has stuck with me. It's not very often that you remember a sermon for 10 years. But this one stuck with me because he preached on verse 5. 2008 family camp. I remember because he signed my ordination certificate. Having a form of godliness but denying its power. Having a form of godliness but denying its power. Syncretism. The combining of what is America and what is Christianity is a form of godliness that denies the power of God. I do not want you to think that being an American and a Christian are the same thing. As your pastor, as your shepherd, I want you always to keep God above America. That does not mean you, you, you um, are... I'm not saying we are to disrespect America. I'm not saying we're to disrespect the flag. I'm not saying we should never say the Pledge of Allegiance again. I'm saying that in all of these things, God is first. God is God. And never, ever, and you need to hear me, do not ever give worship to the United States of America. Do not ever give worship to the flag of our country. Do not ever give worship to any elected official. Never. It is idolatry. If you have, then repent. Ask God for forgiveness, turn from it, and then times of refreshing will come to our land and to us. Because I don't want a form of godliness. I want the real thing with power. I love America. I love Jesus more. I'm proud to be an American, but I am far more proud to be a Christian. I am a citizen of America, but my identity is in Christ Jesus, my Lord and Savior. I'm going to pray, and we're going to watch a two-minute video that I hope will bring this all together. Would you pray with me? Thank you, Jesus, for this country. 
Thank you that we have the ability to have this worship service because of of the freedoms that have been fought for, that people have died for. Thank you, God. I believe that you have been at work in the formation of this country, and I believe that you are still at work in this country. But I also know that you will not stand for, for idolatry. I also know that you do not want syncretism. There can be no other God but you. Our worship can go to no other but you. Thank you, God, for this reminder from your word today. We love you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. When the video is done, you may simply be dismissed. Independence has never been easy. Nearly 250 years ago, it was something worth fighting for. The idea of a people who stood on equal footing, free to speak, free to wander, free to live. These were ideals worth risking everything for. Today, we find ourselves fighting old battles, not with past foes, but with ourselves. We are a nation divided, divided by skin, divided by opinion, divided by hate. It seems the very freedoms we once fought for have become stumbling blocks. Are we too busy seeking ourselves to even recognize the tragedy which surrounds us? Do we no longer see the profound need for the hand of God? In this moment, the truth of Scripture rings especially true. If we, the people, will humbly pray, turn from wickedness, and seek His face, then He will hear us. He will forgive us, and He will heal this land. Today, may we remember this one simple truth. True independence is found only in our dependence on God.